and we're live i think we are anyway i can see it the preview's up what up everybody welcome back to bedouin banter another episode here on the live stream uh finally getting things sorted seems like everything is working out as intended i have lights today there's uh multiple uh, angles of light and also multiple camera angles testing out both of the new uh, cameras that i have installed at the moment so one one is a smartphone camcorder sent it back for a refund and got a second smartphone because guess what it's cheaper you still get the same kind of audio quality the only thing i'm worried about is like every now and then you'll see um that that weird contrast change that's happening right now every now and then not sure how to get rid of that but i'll figure it out eventually every day every week is a different journey a different experience right so we've got a show to you for you today it is a new one it is of course a bedouin banter ranter which is me ranting about everything that's happening in the news or things that are happening on a topical basis, things that are happening with the guys, things that uh, either I'm going through or I've seen others go through that I want to talk about because obviously everybody's in isolation. Uh, Matruk couldn't show up here last week. Anywho, he's uh, been isolated earlier than everybody else, but it seems like everybody is going to be continuing to stay uh, away from people, which in my situation isn't really a bad thing because I get to uh, work on projects like this. I get to um, improve some of the stuff in the studio. I get to do some miniature painting, getting uh, getting a lot of that done with uh, the current situation. Also getting some uh, stuff done with the house because we were do planning to do spring cleaning anyway. And uh, yeah, and figuring that out has been <laughs> a challenge considering like we were supposed to have all these workers come in to do repainting and everything else and nobody obviously wants to work. Everybody wants to take advantage of the uh, current situation and the current climate, um, which is weird because even though a lot of people are not working at that level, at the level of laborers, there has been a need apparently for uh, people to look into a curfew. So that has been proposed. That is currently up for grabs in Bahrain. Uh, people are talking about that being a possibility that could happen very soon. Uh, and by curfew, as in, you know how like uh, most of the malls right now close at around eight. So city center opens from twelve and then closes around eight, closes around eight. And they were talking about just overall curfews. Nobody out in the streets after six. No, not just malls, everything. So even um, commercial uh, establishments anywhere, just hanging out in public. Uh, I don't know about in private. I'm assuming they don't care what you do in private. Which, let's be honest. It's probably the worst thing possible you could do for Corona. But other than that, they're also like closing down some banks. Oh, look, I have some graphics up for you guys. going to show you this. This is cool. Got this new feature in now. Ah, there we go. Is it? No, it's not showing up. Why is it not going in? Preview. Yeah, there we go. That's the one there. See? Oh, cool. Switch it on and off as well. So there you go. Uh, curfew proposed to stop the virus's spread. That's the current... Um, the current thing being mused around by some government circles. We already, know, we already know some people are like taking shifts, like 50% of staff at the ministry, uh, other also organizations and corporations are taking shifts. Some people are working, some people are not. Uh, so those that have to work are basically splitting the workload between two different kinds of shifts in their companies. That could change very quickly because as uh, the size of your company is being established, that also determines whether or not you can operate. So uh, now it's it's up down to like five people. We even had uh, Mike Donovan for our improv crew suggest that we should do a, a uh, an improv show, even if the crowd is just like twenty. And as as I was saying that that could be a bad idea just for the optics, uh, they hit us with the five 
five per five people per gathering rule and now possibly a curfew so that kills it completely but this does mean that it's an opportunity for a lot of Bahrainis a lot of artists a lot of creatives out there especially comedians to do more stuff online so we're actually looking into uh, the ability to live stream some improv some comedy to some people even though we're doing it from from home I know a lot of artists are doing that especially musicians which is bullshit because oh there's there goes a light is that dead that one dead? That's it? <laughs> Lasted like 10-15 minutes. That's great. At least I got the backlight, which is uh, going to work in my favor, I guess. So that is what's happening with uh, that proposal. And then some other bullshit happened in the news recently. Um, this is like, this broke like, I think it was uh, a few hours ago, actually. Like maybe like tw 10 hours ago or something. But let me get it up there for you guys. Do do do. There we go. Switching it over. No, not like that. How do I do this? That way? That's the one. There we go. So this one's interesting. Because uh, they're talking about... This is like it broke and it was so bullshit. I'll tell you why it's bullshit. First, they're saying lions, like that Russia has somehow declared that there's... That it's for them to keep the curfew going in Russia, to keep people away from the streets and out of, uh, you know, out of public gatherings and stuff, that they are going to release 800 lions and tigers on the streets to force people to stay home. And this is fake news. There is no doubt in my mind, first of all, because the, the majority of people that when I looked into it today, the majority of people reporting it on YouTube were like Indian news channels and Pakistani news channels. And you could tell from the ones spreading on Facebook, like, what is that one? United State of the United State of Pakistan. That's a believable source. But if that didn't give it away, just as like how dumb of a policy this could be, then just the fact that, let's be honest, Russia would be using bears, not lions or tigers. That would not be on their agenda as something to use in this circumstance. It seems like they could do better than 800 lions. That seems actually more expensive than just using the Russian military. Because let's be honest, if Russia wants to scare the shit out of you, if Putin wants to scare the shit out of you, he doesn't need lions and tigers. He just has guns and people that are not afraid to use them. So I don't even know where this, like this might work. This is what, this is, this is proof that it, it, this is from India, right? Or somewhere like in Pakistan because they have tigers and, and there are places in India that jack people all the time. Like tigers is jacking people left and right. Nobody's safe on the streets. So I wouldn't be surprised if that is the, uh, it would definitely be a primal fear if you felt like, shit, there, there are 800 lions and tigers out there. Why the fuck would I go out there? And then the other thing is, how do you, even if you had trackers and stuff, just, could you imagine if that was real, having to wrangle the tigers and lions like three months down the line when Corona's gone? And then somebody's job is to go out there and find them, like one by one, just like all the lions and tigers. That is a, <laughs> that should be a show. I actually wish they would do this now. I wish this was a real thing. I wish it wasn't fake news. But it is. So if you see this getting spread around Facebook, if you see people talking about this, just call them out on this bullshit. Because uh, I could promise you <laughs> that you're going to be seeing a lot more stuff like this. Crazy ideas that could actually become real one day. You never know. Like, what would you... I would, I would like the bear idea, but I would like it to be like five bears. Five mutated monstrous bears roaming around. You spread the rumor that they're, and maybe even like you dress them up. Like what was that movie? Is that movie the? Um, is it a French one or not? 
where they're like um they're trying to like they, they, this thing is like killing people in the village like left and right they think it's a monster it's got like blades and talons and stuff and the one dude is like it has a master that it follows or some shit and uh then they find out at the end of the movie that it's actually a lion that this guy came back from africa and he made this like makeshift weird weapon and it was actually a lion but it was like a lion that had armor and razor blades grafted to its body so it made it made it seem even scarier than it actually was that's what you should do in this situation you don't go for like 800 lions and tigers you go for like one mega mutated bear so you roid the fuck out of this bear you just take this bear jacked out bear hit it with some of those like putin olympics steroids and then you just jack it up with the armor add some like you know machinery some slicey dicey bits on the side and you just let it roam and then one of them covers the area of at least like fear wise just propaganda wise it would just be covering at least 100 square kilometers more than 800 lions would all right so that's that story and then here's something else that happened i get this to you guys this is beautiful this is uh jared leto Okay, so apparently, Jared Leto, and I tried to get the other graphics up here from his tweet. I couldn't find it because uh, for some reason the, the tweet was, I found one tweet, the version he put up on Instagram, and, I, and for some reason the Slink Studio couldn't show it. But he had just come out of a retreat. So Jared Leto, um, formerly the Joker of Suicide Squad, and also the man, <laughs> the man behind uh, 30 Seconds to Mars, he started this uh, organization for his huge fans, his stands, that it, he people are calling a cult. And he, supposedly as a joke, also calls it a cult. Uh, he, when asked, if, is it a cult? He's like, yeah, it is a cult. And then he goes on to say that, no, 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 it's actually a joke. It's not real. But then a lot of people called him out saying, well, you know, even if it's a, it is a joke, you got these hundreds of people following you around the desert going into the silent meditative retreat and them come them coming out of the desert only to find out everything that everybody's been going through for the last two months so he had no idea all his followers everybody that was see one one report says it's an island and then another says it was like a silent retreat like out in the desert with no phones no nothing and then just showing back up to civilization like and finding out oh shit you know People are freaking out about coronavirus and things are in lockdown. If you see pictures of him, like the picture he's wearing right now, I have the other one, but this is the one that shows on the uh, on the screen. He's got he's got the typical thobe, the Jesus thobe, and he's got people like huddled around him, and he's giving sermons, and they've got parties and stuff. I don't know what it's about. I want to look into it more, but just the idea of this. This is what tells me that if he wanted to, if he was a nutter, right? If he was insane, I already don't like Jared Leto. Not even just for the Joker. There's just something off about him anyway. If he was an asshole and he wanted to start like this whole new religion, you know that that is the advantage he would take. The second he's out of the desert, he just looks at his followers and just goes, I, I knew this was going to happen. As it has been foretold, you Marsers, Stanners, we must return. To God's earth, spread the news, for they are destroyed. You would take advantage of that. If at least 60% of them were there as a joke, just because they're fans of Leto, then you would be, you would just now be convinced that he just, like, f foresaw the future. He knew that the world was coming to an end, and he could pretend that uh, that was the goal all along, to save them, take them out there, like Moses to his people. 
It's an interesting one. I wonder like how many guys actually started religions based off of a coincidence, an opportunistic moment. Them taking uh them taking the reins out of this thing. You you gotta suck my dick right now. For I have seen the future. Tis coronavirus. Gobble this up and you shall not be you shall be inoculated by it. It will keep you safe from the invisible devil. Here, have some Corona. The beer, I mean. Well, that, that's, yeah, that's the kind of situation people are going through. I always thought that looking into some of the packages on stuff like this, it's insanely costly. Like, it costs, like, I think it was $2,000 for some of the packages. So it's kind of like a, a fire festival thing, or at least any of these festivals that give you, like, different packages. Like, oh, here's the, here's the $2,000 tent. You add in $500, you get a massage. I don't know, 500 for a massage is insane. I'm just making these numbers up. But it's probably something like 50. Uh, then there's some, something about like other, other amenities, like food, beverages, all this other stuff. And I'm wondering like if somebody feels like they got ripped off. Because there has to be a few people. They're just going like, what the fuck? This is a joke. I wake up, I get out of this. And I find out my parents, everybody else is just quarantined. The situation's kicking off. His 401k, like with the market crashing, him losing all of his money. And he just sees Leto's face. He probably didn't even like him that much. If this was one person in this scenario, he'd, he'd probably be thinking. If you remember Leto in um, in Fight Club, he was that guy. What was his name? Angel Face? I love that scene. Because we were watching it this last week and I couldn't believe it. I was like, there he is. There's him again. It's Jared Leto and Meatloaf is there. And Leto gets his, his fucking face broken in by Edward Norton. And Norton says, what is it? The line is like, I wanted to I wanted to break something beautiful. I, wa- I wanted to ruin something that was pretty, something like that. And he had an annoying face. Like he has one of those faces that you just want to, you just want to reconfigure. And I can imagine that person just spending thousands of dollars and going back from the desert and seeing everything like that. Wasted to nothing, to no end. There's another thing happening. Now, what's what's freaking me out is nobody's talking about the fact that this commercial uh, lockdown, this shutdown in Bahrain is going to be affecting a lot of people. Um, because they've already said there's like, what, about $4 billion from an economic stimulus. But the fact that there's going to be a lot of people already, you know, on the edge of their seats, they're not sure where their next paycheck is coming from. Uh, people that are freelancers, people that don't necessarily work for certain, um, you know, or organizations or corporations, they're, they might be struggling with this. And the way I see it is if if you lock down stuff like, you know, because they're keeping up, what, they're keeping uh, supermarkets, pharmacies, banks, so all the basics, you know, obviously hospitals, uh, emergency centers, community centers that are uh, based on people receiving prescriptions and such. All those places stay open. Basic necessities, cold stores are in there. So Babu is going to be making a killing. There's no other distractions. You either go to Babu or you go to Carrefour. That's about it for him. But um, what scares me, and nobody's talking about it because... Uh, <laughs> I know a few people that placed orders today when this thing broke. I think it was uh, the other day. They, they're placing a ton of orders because people are realizing there's not going to be any alcohol. 
because there is no mention of you know any of the alcohol distributors they're not part of supermarkets or anything else they'd definitely be shutting down and at the moment for the what the last month or so there's been a lot of sales a lot of discounts at uh, bmmi and other alcohol retailers and distributors and people are saying well wh where am i going to find my next drink if this goes down where am i gonna you know where am I going to get my resources from? Now, if you're an active serviceman, maybe in the base or something, you don't have this worry. But if you're somebody that's, you know, like the everyday expat, maybe you're not connected to the base. Maybe you don't have this kind of a... Oh, what is going on here? No, no. Uh, losing this graphic. How do I do this? Do I just drag it into there? But yeah, if you're one of these people that are scared that they might lose the opportunity of, um, I'll just keep it there. That's the one. I'll just keep it there. If you're going to lose your, you know, your, your chance to stock up because Ramadan is right around the corner. And usually people have that grace period where they're going to know, oh, okay, I'm going to go at the last week. I'm going to buy stuff and I'm not in a hurry, I'm not in a rush. Now what happens when you've got a very short deadline? There are still discounts, so nobody's jacked the prices up on alcohol, but they might. Like, I don't think anybody's going to be protecting. Because you know what I mean? When those pharmacists and uh, pharmacies kind of jacked up the price on sanitizers and, and face masks and everything else, uh, the government kind of came in swiftly, which I really like. And they made sure that everybody was um, held accountable. They locked, they shut down some of these pharmacies. I'm not sure if they got fined or not. I'm pretty sure they would be. But uh, they, they wanted to make sure nobody's exploiting, you know, people's need for uh, sanitizers and a different kind of alcohol. But this kind of alcohol, I don't think anybody's going to give a fuck if BMMI decides to jack up Bira to like 20 BD a bottle, which I, I think they wouldn't do just if they're smart about their PR. But if you are a BMMI or anybody else and you know you've got a limited window all of a sudden, to move product, to, to shift this stuff around the island. And you were just giving discounts. And now all of a sudden, I wish I could show you the picture. Somebody sent it to me. It was like, I'm, I'm not joking. It's like 20, 20 crates of, what was it? My phone's right there. I can't, you're, you're actually my phone. 20 crates of like, um, I think it was Guinness. It might've been something else, but I'm pretty sure it was Guinness. And, and people, you know, people are going to go crazy. They're going to think there's nothing left. All of the, the 20 crates of it stacked up in their house just for now to cover now until Ramadan and after. And then you're going to have probably people at the base also try the ones that take advantage of the situation that know that nobody's going to find the resource to get alcohol in Bahrain normally. This is going to be their peak time. It's a, it's a stressful time. I don't know who I was talking to about this recently, but they were we were talking about um, prostitutes that <laughs> you can you can use prostitutes as an economic measure, like the canary in the in the coal mine, to figure out what is the state of your economy. So if 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 the prostitutes are coming in, whether it be in Bahrain or any other country in the world, if they're rocking up to your hotels, they're rocking up to all of your you know seedier underbellies, then that is a good sign for your economy. Not them providing for your economy, 
but a healthy sign that they're they're there. They're at the watering hole. They're looking for all the extra cash that's floating around, the tourism, everything else. But if if the prostitutes are leaving, if everybody's exiting the country on that point, uh, you know, like you know, probably there, there's probably a hierarchy to it as well. Like I'm assuming, you know, the Russians, the Eastern Europeans, all of them are out first. Like they would have predicted this months back. Um, the the t- t- Chinese, Thai, uh, probably a lot of the Far Eastern ones. And I'm trying to keep a straight face when I'm saying this, but they'd probably, they probably, they would probably not want to go back. So they, they have the least incentive to, to leave because they can handle the economic state and the loss of clientele. So they're, they're probably very smart with their money. They've kept a, a nest egg or two, you know. Uh, one of the many massage services that leads to some kind of investment, maybe in a 401k or something. Um, they probably have health insurance and they don't want to go back to Thailand or China. Why would they go? That increases their risk. But I'm assuming the Russian prostitutes, they're out. Ukrainian, Slovakian, any any of the others, Polish probably, they're, they're gone. And that is a measure. Maybe I wonder if somebody's ever done like a financial analysis of the state of the economy or even like investors that would invest in a specific economy or a specific country based on how, what the influx is of hookers to a specific country. <laughs> but yeah, that's, that's one. So that's a measure, right? And, and the other thing, as I said, uh, BMMI, other people, you, if you need to make an order, if, that, if that's your thing, and I'm not saying everybody's into the, ha- the haram or the halal, but I know friends that are, and they would be, uh, looking into this option right now where what do i do there's a few more days until they shut down everything commercially and just keep the essentials and nobody ever mentioned like supermarkets are there you're gonna lose out on that alcohol so um especially since there's probably a surplus you know they probably brought in a ton of it for event season and then you know they shut down borders canceled events so nobody from Saudi, nobody from Kuwait, nobody from any part of the world is coming in to consume all that leftover alcohol. So that means what? You've got, I don't know how many metric tons sitting in warehouses that are probably going to be expiring within the next month. They want to move that shit. They've got discounts like crazy on most of these sites. Uh, if you go to BMMI or any of the others. Uh, and I've, I've said that word so many times right now. I either I either I'm going to get a sponsorship or I'm going to get sued. But um, let's assume that's the case and you have a ton of it left over. And now all of a sudden the announcement comes in that, you know, they're going to be shutting down all places that are commercially, uh, you know, not viable for, I guess, being an exemption. So if you're not a supermarket, you're not a cold store, you're not a bank, you're not a pharmacy, you're not going to stay open. And that means there's a limited window to get to that drink. And there's no more Saudis. Nobody from Saudi is coming to consume that for you, Bahrain. So please be safe. Don't go crazy. Don't rush because I have a feeling this is going to happen. Some people are going to be going crazy trying to figure out how much they can buy. Like I said, if I had the photo, I could show you of the 20 crates that are uh, currently being hoarded. Like it's a freaking dragon hoarding a nest full of crates and these are expats by the way these are brits they're hoarding way way in advance like in other other parts of the world oh sup nasr how you doing buddy um 
people are hoarding toilet paper for some reason. And uh, here people are going to be hoarding the alcohol earlier than usual. Because you're going to have to last out. You're going to outlast Ramadan, outlast everything else. Other than that, what was they talking about? Yeah, toilet paper. You know there's an app now? I was reading it on The Verge. And I had a graphic for you guys, but I lost it. I don't. It's not going up on the thing. But what was it? So an app now that actually predicts how long your toilet paper can last, depending on your average use per day, how much toilet paper you consume, how much you have, and how many times a day you use the toilet. It's a genuine app. I'm going to try to find the site. Where is it? It's on The Verge. You can see it on The Verge. I think it was there for well, the last two days. Now, what I don't understand is, yeah, they always say the toilet paper calculator lets you know how long your bathroom stash will last. How much toilet paper? Unprecedented times call for unprecedented measures. And <laughs> this is it. It's called howmuchtoiletpaper.com. And you add your current value and your toilet visits per day, and it'll tell you how much you have left. Uh, it's a relatively simple tool. You put the number of rolls you have left and the number of toilet visits. You estimate what you take per day and it splits out a nice whole number at the top of the screen. So 10 rolls left at three visits per day, which is, uh, equates to about 53 days. Plenty of toilet paper. Well, it depends on how much you use as well, right? Because people have different techniques, whether you're using the double fold, I go for extra, but that's because we're already clean. We use water. And then the toilet paper is kind of like an accessory on top of that, which just adds to the feeling of like, I don't want to be messy and I want to soak up the dampness. But um, in the States and in Canada, I know friends that live in Canada right now, and they were saying that it is an insane level of people just hoarding this stuff. And it started because of a rumor, kind of like one of these Facebook things, like, you know, 800 lions and tigers being set loose in Russia. Bullshit. But uh, yeah, the same thing goes for toilet paper. Why you would need toilet paper above everything else? I understand canned food, food that doesn't expire. I understand the rice. You know, they they say that the average recommended um, stockpiling time you should have for any disaster is 20 days. That's like the average recommended by FEMA and other organizations around the world. So if you don't want to be a complete hoarder slash doomsday prepper, and you just want to be like doomsday prep light, I want to just casually prep for the end of the world just to give myself a fighting chance. So you have your starter kit at the beginning of the video game, but you don't want to have like the um, the pre-order stuff. So Doom, like the full-on Doomsday Preppers, they've got the full pre-order. They've got the collector's edition armor, the specialty cosmetic helmet, that extra level 50 shotgun unlock. But you you just want like the, the basic kit. So you don't want to go in just naked. You, you might not get the body armor. But you'll get a two by four and a knife. So that's 20 days. They say stock up for 20 days of food and water if you want to be uh, sure in any kind of event, whether it's a tsunami uh, or, you know, Spanish flu or anything else. If it's a zombie apocalypse, you're fucked. Because uh, let's be honest, <laughs> you're. Yeah, I, I think that is the number one thing. I don't know why. You, you would think that. You'd think people would be stocking up on on other things. Like, you'd always think it would be water. Um, the rice is there. So food is kind of on the chart. But you didn't hear anything about guns. And I think I know why. I think people have guns. 
I think people have been stockpiling guns, like especially people in the NRA have been stockpiling guns in the States since Obama. That was the first time I remember that they released data that like there's a ton of people, like an influx of people that were actually making a killing over the the, the increased sales of guns and accessories to guns, ammunition, everything else that goes with it. So that's um, that's something special. That's something to look out for. Um, yeah. I guess what what would you say if you had to pick? Because I've got maybe a few of you that are going to be coming on later on. But if you had to, if you had to pick, let's say you're in the, I don't get. Let's, I'm going to put this for the pre-record later on. If you had to pick one apocalypse of choice, what would it be? Now, this is the furthest thing from an apocalypse. I know there's a lot of people that are pissed off at people talking about this and analyzing it and dissecting it. And we are done. We're tired with this shit. That's why I tried to find the other angle to it with Jared Leto and other stuff. But that is the situation we're in. And this is like, this is viral apocalypse light. This is practice. This is like you're going into the tutorial level of the game of World War Z before you actually get to the full game and you unlock the real World War Z. So if you had to pick one to practice, would it be this one? Or would you go for like, you know, Meteor? Because that's what's happening apparently next month. Meteor coming close to the Earth. It's going to be uh, not, not as near as the last one. I think the last one is Apophis. That was a pretty, like, that was a pretty scary one because even they couldn't tell, like NASA and other uh, tracking organizations, the ones that kind of like their whole job is to track meteors and satellites and other things that are in space that just collide with each other or might hit us. Um, they have been saying that, you know, this one's not that bad. It's actually close, but not that close. But at the moment, they're keeping an eye on it. So it's just weird because if you think about it, especially if you're in Bahrain, what have you had? Like since the start of 2020, everybody's been saying, oh, 2020, it's been an awesome year so far, but it does make sense as far as like, if you wanted to pick a year to make it like the apocalypse 2020, like from a marketing standpoint, it makes sense. 2012 just seems like a weird number. Like why 12? 2020 makes more sense. 2020 and the world, but we've had locusts. We've had a lack of floods and rains, but we've had weird showers every now and then for rain. Um, what else? We've had this, the virus, the economic crash, doom. <laughs> Some people have been saying doom eternal itself is a sign of the apocalypse, the end of the world, like Ahadim al-Alamat al-Qiyamah. Just because of the timing and the fact that Doom is the one that's coming out. It's already out now this last weekend. So a bunch of you are playing that right now. And that's all about demons and shit. Um, seismic activity in Mars. Uh, the planet that they found that's basically molten freaking metal that rains from the sky. That's a, that's a planet out there that they discovered. Oh, it has molten metal. It's raining from the heavens. Imagine that was the thing. That would be my choice. If I had to pick one apocalypse, I'd be like, I don't want the cliche one. I want the one nobody predicted. Not zombies, no. It's like, oh, what's going on? There's molten metal. It's falling from the sky. 
the temperature and the pressure and everything else that's leading to for it to happen. Just don't go because you could kind of survive in a way if you'd last for a little bit. You just have to time it when to go out, when not to go out. And you fucked. There's no umbrella. Maybe some people would have access to suits. But that would be the one that I feel like is manageable because it wouldn't cause people to go too insane. We just have to like acclimate to it. Great weather patterns are not looking good. We can still kind of have a civilization. It'll be underground. We'll be more people. But we could like, in essence, if it doesn't happen all at once and it kind of happens gradually, we could kind of maintain the same level of technology, same level of kind of infrastructure, maybe not as much. Because trade wouldn't be easy. Um, logistics wouldn't be easy until we can kind of solve it. Fine. Not, I mean, like, solve the climate because we never actually solve shit like that. We just tend to adapt to it. And that means we change from, um, you know, deciding to fight back. And we're like, hey, we're just, this is a thing now. This is a part of our world now. We just do this. Which is what a lot of people are wondering, is that going to be the, the thing with Corona? Is this going to be a permanent thing? Is this the thing that we're going to have to live with? Are we, are we going to have to rely on cults now? Like this Leto. I just love this image. I love it so much because right here, and I can't show it to you guys, but right, what if I do this? Can I show it to you right here? Yeah, no, it's ah, superimposed. But at the corner there, you see on the left side of the, the image, right there in the middle left side, there's a guy He's wearing a white shirt. And he's leaning against the pillar. That, that's a Marvel shirt. It was amazing because I saw it on another podcast and somebody was showing this image. I was laughing because nobody pointed out that this guy is a huge Leto fan. He loves 30 Seconds for Mars. He's a stan. And yet he's wearing a Marvel shirt. I think Leto already hates his, his performance in Suicide Squad. He hates the fact that he ruined the Joker for so many people. But the fact that you're wearing a Marvel shirt in front of him, I don't know if that's a good thing. And I don't know what kind of culty vibes you got going on there, but that is uh, that is definitely a weird one. Why always the same clothes? If if I wanted to start a cult, I'd, I'd make it different. Why does it have to always look the same? What is it? Like, do you know what I mean? It's always like an offshoot of something that already exists. Make your branding. Make it matter. Like, do it, like, do cyberpunk. Why not? What are you waiting for? What's the difference? What are you going to lose out on if you don't, if you don't, if you just do something that sounds or looks different? Like a mohawk. What if, what if he goes with the Mad Max theme? He could totally pull off the Mad Max theme. He could. He's, he's a bit of a pretty face, but he could. I could see him with that hair. It's like all ponytailed up. Got it like copperfied, chromified. Maybe even buzz cut the whole thing. Go for his Joker look. Then he could pretend that he intended it the whole time. Isn't that weird? That he's in. he starts this weird like kind of a cult, not a cult thing. To, to kind of get his fans to obsess over him and over 30 seconds to Mars. But at the same time, what started it all might have been Fight Club. Like, what if he learned all of that shit from just being in Fight Club? 
you're watching Edward Norton like stalk around, talking about Fight Club, him and Brad Pitt, telling you all the rules, that you don't talk about it, how to start it. Like if there ever was a handbook to how to start um, a messed up cult slash fraternity slash economic terrorist kind of situation, then it would be that movie. Just just even the way people start to fall and believe for it, into it. Like you cannot believe how, you know, how his personality split in two. You cannot believe that part. You could think, okay, that's nah, no, like, there's no way he can't see it. You know, if if you're not buying the whole he's freaking crazy thing, you could at least buy, you know, the way people kind of fall in line because they're looking for something more because he keeps going around all these support groups. He's going to these support groups that are like, you know, Alcoholics Anonymous, uh, Narcotics Anonymous, whatever. He's that's the whole start of the first like what 10 to 15 minutes of the movie. And if you're going to go and you're going to go to the, the the people that have it the worst off, they've got pretty much nothing to lose. Like the guy with the big tits cuz he he was, you know, on on steroids and something happened to him and kind of estrogen shot through the roof, roof and he did develop tits. Now, I remember Shadow was asking if that was real. I was like, yeah, sure. It's probably real. I have it right now. I have bitch tits. But uh, yeah, if, you, if you're going for that kind of uh, person, that has got nothing left. Fuck all. Their, their life is, is just at the worst. They're at the bottom rung of society. And they feel something special. They feel like this fraternity, this bond, this uh, connection to somebody who is giving them a purpose. Making them feel alive again, making the feel, making them feel powerful. Then you could believe something like that could be, you know, happening at a massive scale. Because it's that scene where he, you remember they hold the. Can't remember if he was like a metropolitan uh, commissioner or even a, a politician. What's the difference, right? But he says, um, "We are your, we are your garbage men, your your uh, your waiters, your chefs, your everything, basically." The, the the bottom rung of society. We are everybody that's involved with that level of stuff. So we're going to be your, the eyes and ears to everything you do. That part is believable. The part I don't believe is the scene in the police station where, where the cops are into it. Remember, he goes and he tries to tell the cops what, what's going on. And they're, they're, they're freaking in on it. And the second the lieutenant walks out, the other two just like put him on the table and like, hey, we don't talk about, what is it, Operation, um, the frick is it called? Can't remember it. Somebody's gonna tell me later. But um, yeah, mayhem is that it? Project Mayhem. We don't talk about Project Mayhem, and they're just about to cut his balls off. That I that I didn't find believable, just because, like, maybe if they're a beat cop, you know, somebody in the squad car and that kind of like level of getting screwed over, then maybe. Maybe they they would be like bribed or they'd be part of this weird cult, the Fight Club. But if you're a detective, most of them are paid pretty decently, especially in big cities, especially the the places he's he's probably going to. So I don't know that part. Like I'm probably on people's side when they say they don't believe it. But yeah, Jared Leto could have fucked them up for life, just like Heath Ledger. He does that movie. He starts believing in the process of how to start a religion, how to start a cult. And he goes on this uh, little uh, retreat, silent meditation, whatever it is. I'm sure everybody else had to stay silent. And he just kept talking. But uh, 
yeah, he comes out of the desert and then he finds out Corona's kicked in. Life is uh, is different now and he has to deal with the whole situation. That is the latest from that. Do-do-do, major announcement made by the National Task Force. Public Security Chief Lieutenant General Tariq Hassan has recommended no gatherings in public parks. Beaches are all prohibited. Public gatherings of more than five people have been barred. Strict measures will be taken if these guidelines are not followed. Now, we already know there were fines for this, but the claim is that too many people are not listening, right? And they said specifically expats. And it's weird, like, how that term is used when they say expats, because you know that in certain circumstances, Bahrain says expats, we're talking about white people. And in other circumstances, we're talking about, you know, laborers from India, Bangladesh, Pakistan. And I want to know what the, like, how bad is this going to be? Just from the sense, like, how how enforced is this curfew going to be? If people from 6 p.m. onwards can't show up, can't, um, like, can you at least be in your car? Or is, is the curfew, the details of it, are you just going to be stopped if you're in a public place, you're at a mall, you're somewhere, you're loitering, like curfew as in no no cars moving around the streets? Because there are people that have shifts that happen at night. So I'm assuming if that's the case, then no more Ali Dawood at 6 p.m. That's one one way to look at it. Of course, I'm 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 not saying this is a bad thing, by the way, because we kind of already have the worst of it anyway. From the um, the economic constraint, we've already hit. We've already taken the major hit anyway. Like the the brunt of the damage has been done. So a curfew is not going to make a big difference. But the question is how are you going to enforce it? If it's if it's a fine, then yeah. But most of these, you know, laborers that go out, if they're hit with a fine, do they go to jail? They can't pay it? What's the what's the uh what are the deets to this? And I can't find it anywhere. And of course, the GDN has a paywall for their online publication. So I'll I'll try to find out more, but this is an interesting time for us in Bahrain. Interesting time for a lot of people around the world. I know people that are stuck on either side of the border. They're trying to make this work. Do You know, I used to say that it probably would have been a smart idea at the very beginning to kind of decide what we're going to do with um, something of this level. Like, are we going to... Um, you know, have a proper stimulus package because we're we're fine. Like health-wise, we're managing this well. Uh, for most of the world, if if people just manage to reduce the the influx of people that are coming in that are going to overload emergency services, hospitals, everything else, then yeah, we're okay health-wise, and we're gonna have a good time kind of dealing with it later on. Because we've managed to kind of take it seriously at the start of it. The question is, how do you recover economically? And um, I'm not seeing enough talk about this besides the fact that there has been a stimulus push. So $4 billion. But who that covers and what, I have no idea. $4 billion dinars. Let's do this. $4 billion dinars. Stimulus. 
economic stimulus. No, Bahrain. Why is it? Don't bring up Trump. <laughs> you know that Trump is trying to give money out to people? He's doing it. Because people in the States are really screwed over. The amount of people in the States, apparently, they lift check by check. Like, they don't have anything in savings. This is like... The, the, I think the... I don't know if this is the conservative number or this is just like a, a media thing, but they they were saying it's close to 50%. The U.S. It's the hundreds of millions we're talking. All right. The government of Bahrain today announced a $4.3 billion economic stimulus package to support the country's citizens and private sector and counter the effects of the coronavirus COVID-19. At a press conference at the country's capital, Manama, a number of government ministers set out an unprecedented package of policy measures to directly support citizens, residents, and businesses in the kingdom. 4.3 billion package will be equivalent to 29.6 of Bahrain's annual GDP, which is insane. For Bahrain, that's insane. It's a good move early on to do this. Because this is the kind of like injection of money and resources and funds that kind of helped out during the, um, the the crash in 2008. But that also came from neighboring countries. So I don't know how that's going to affect everybody when, you know, everybody kind of has to look out for themselves for a bit until this thing, you know, blows over. And by that, I mean people that are in the economic world, the leaders of our countries in the GCC. And they always have a plan for this kind of stuff. It's like we're united together when it comes to our economy. So nobody wants to see anybody else really suffer. So we're probably going to be seeing in the next couple of months a real solid plan that kind of happens all across the GCC from uh, which countries need the biggest bailouts and which countries are kind of okay. Um, I can't remember who else it was besides Bahrain that received it last time. Uh, I don't want to talk out of my ass, but if I had to guess, I'd say I'm on. I'm not sure. I have no idea. But um, I did talk out of my ass. There you go. That was amazing. Mm, the ministers announced an eight-point economic package that commits the government to a, one, referring a draft law concerning paying the salaries of all private sector employees for three months from April 2020 from the unemployment fund following constitutional procedures and in line with the social insurance law. So this is coming out of our unemployment fund. Two paying individuals and businesses, electricity and water, uh, authority, utility bills for three months from April 2020 up to the costs incurred during the same period in 2019. Whilst also restructuring government administrative costs to offset additional costs incurred by the government. Exempting all individuals and businesses from municipal fees for three months from April 2020, exempting all businesses from industrial and rental fees for three months from April 2020, exempting all tourism-related industries from tourism levies for three months, doubling the liquidity support fund to $200 million. increasing the Central Bank of Bahrain's loan facilities, that's $3.7 billion, to allow debt installments to be deferred and extra credit to be extended. The redirection of all Temkin programs, semi-autonomous government agencies that provide loans and assistance to businesses, if you didn't know what Temkin was, to support adversely affected companies as well as the restructuring of all debts issued by Temkin. So everybody's on this. As far as we can tell, starting next month, you know, a lot of businesses are going to be seeing a little bit of a, 
a windfall. And uh, they can take a breath, at least knowing that some people are going to be trying to figure out the, the breadth of the damage economically, which is what I was scared of the most, that uh, we'd be too slow in addressing that. But it seems like people are on the right pace. So that's why I recommend, guys, honestly, this is not going to cover everybody. This is going to be, um, you know, most of the people out there that have businesses will probably be fine, especially people with, um, you know, a bunch of employees. But please keep in mind that there are people out there that are working, like we said, paycheck by paycheck. They're freelancers. There are people that are, you know, support industries, uh, people that have, you know, jobs that they've kind of completely made independent. So I know a lot of entertainers, we talked about this last time, a lot of people in the entertainment field, whether they're MCs, uh, comedians, actors, models, um, influencers. Now, you're, you're not feeling any sympathy right now, I can tell that. <laughs> you're, you're probably going, yeah, fuck them. Fuck them and their, their Instagram. Yeah, but that it'll take a huge hit. Because those, there's a ton of people that made, and we're not just talking about influencers as in people that take photos of their cakes at Lilo's. That's not what we're talking about. At least that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about people that had, you know, like I know a friend of, of mine, Yasmin. She recently, as a teacher, took the plunge to kind of like start a business, an Instagram shop type of, type of business with merchandise based off of her own designs. Um, there are a bunch of people that do that. And she's done like, you know, D&D themed ones, geek ones. Uh, there are a few others. Sosan Hassan, she does a bunch of stuff on her own Instagram profile. Um, I wish I knew them all by heart right now, but I don't, honestly. I can't remember what most of the, the account names are. Um, but I posted it a while back. You can check on my Instagram to find out. But yeah, all these people sell stuff, including designers that make t-shirts, they make uh, you know products, they freelance a lot of the times to make their own money. My wife is the same way. She does that. She's done it for a long, the longest time before she met me. And then we kind of we kind of helped each other out. It was the deal. Um, and now, alhamdulillah, she's doing well. And she's uh, somebody that can manage. You know, there, there are a few people that can manage. They have help and support from their families, uh, from spouses, from others in their life that can help them get through a tough economic period. But don't forget, there's a lot of people that don't have that. And honestly, I would say one of the most important things you can do right now is trying to support local businesses. This is the opportunity. So I would even say, I would go as far as saying, for the month after we have some economic recovery, maybe spend you know another month or two not buying something off of Amazon. If you can, don't buy it off of Amazon. Don't buy it from a big corporation uh, that is not even going to circulate the money in Bahrain. Take that money and use it as your vote to help save these people's businesses, the people that took the risks and of no fault of their own. Absolutely, there was no way for them to predict this. You know, even when I, I'm pretty like attuned to the news, like I, I digest that stuff on a daily, daily basis. Every morning I wake up, all I do is, you know, look at conservative points of view, liberal points of view, all these talk shows, all this news that I just digest on a day-to-day on -day basis. And Shada hates it, by the way. But even I was kind of like doubtful of how far the coronavirus would spread and how much of an impact it would have economically and psychologically on people. 
Uh, and I, we were in, in London until about the first couple of weeks of January. And I was watching this thing unfold in China since December. And, you know, I didn't believe it. Like, I was like, oh, it's going to blow over, give it a month. But then you read more into it and you realize, okay, this thing is kind of like, it has this insane spread. It's really infectious. Um, it doesn't have the same fatality rate as others. Like, take, for example, Ebola. Ebola is such a killer. It's just so good at killing people that it actually fucks itself over. So it can't spread that well because it just ends up killing the person that it was like the person can't go out there and spread enough of it before he dies. And and this one has kind of been like the test as far as something that is really infectious. We've not had something that that is this infectious before. Um, thank God it's not truly airborne, but it is uh, airborne based on how, how well you can cough and sneeze. Um, but yeah, this has really been a, a surprise for a lot of people, even though a lot of a lot of people in the medical field kind of saw it coming and knew that this is just a matter of when, not if. It doesn't mean that somebody in the world of business, somebody that was trying to take a risk, be an entrepreneur, put themselves out there. There's no way that they would have known this was going to happen. This is not a market crash like that's based off of the normal, hey, you know, everybody was buying so much real estate and everybody was stupid for buying that much real estate. I was smart. I put my money in video games. No, it's not one of those situations. It's a situation where somebody, you know, decides to quit their job, has kids, doesn't know how they're going to start this in a way that necessarily is going to work for the first two years of runway that they have as a startup, they have no idea where it's going to go. And they were relying at least on a healthy enough economy and people that have spending power to kind of float and slowly grow it, you know? Like even people with YouTube channels, if you can get a thousand people to pay for a Patreon, you're, you're kind of okay. You don't need to be a PewDiePie. You don't need to make thousands upon thousands. But if you can get five, you know, what is it? Like 50, no. Let's stay, stay at a thousand. If you can get a thousand people to pay you money, whether it be a dollar or a dinar or whatever it is, then you're okay. You, you have a, a semi-autonomous business that keeps you afloat and gives you a reliable source of income. But now this might be going away for a lot of people. So yeah, support in whatever way you can. Um, the independents out there need you and they're not going to get the benefit of this economic plan, not necessarily because it's, it's mostly going to businesses. Uh, and so that businesses can kind of recoup their losses. Um, hold my cat. is not going to get it. <laughs> Even though we have a CR, it's not going to happen, I guess. Um, I'm going to see, I'm gonna, I, I bet you, I bet you there's going to be a bunch of, you know, real estate sleazy moguls out there. People that are slumlords that are just going to not pay the electricity bills. Well, not not pay, but they're going to, because it's going to be covered for them for the three months after April. They're going to tell people that, oh, no, 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 you still have to pay your bills. And people have no idea that they, they have access to this, that they don't have to pay anything. And they're going to be paying money, extra money to their landlords and not realize, realizing that they aren't paying jack shit. So there's going to be a lot of stuff like that going around. Some opportunistic, opportunistic, self-serving, vulturous behavior 
that is going to be trying to kind of uh, take advantage of everything. And we have smart people in government. At least we have we have people that care. You know, out of all the things I get annoyed of with Bahrain and this part of the world, there are things that are really, really annoy me. Uh, as far as you know, risk taking goes, or allowing a little bit of diversity of thought um, when it comes to media, there is still some really good, wholesome, you know, white-hearted community values being spread at a at a government level, where people have a little bit of symp- sympathy and empathy to others. So it's a good thing that th- there are people that shut down some of the, these practices, some of the, the vulturous behavior out there. So if you can do your your bit to help, do it. You know, the next time you're out when this thing is over, go and support a local business. You know, some something run a brick and mortar store, mom and pop, whatever it is. It's the most I can say about that. Sorry, getting a bit preachy at you guys. Do do do. We're almost at the hour. I don't want to go over an hour. I've got food downstairs waiting for me. So um yeah I I didn't I didn't know if I was going to get a lot of people on the live stream itself. I know some of you are mostly listening after the fact. So um yeah, thank you. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for uh being a part of the show this time. As a reminder to you guys, um you can always find the link in the Instagram. Uh, last time I noticed that it was on another episode. I think it was episode 13 and had been set there for a while. Um, to address some of the issues, uh, guys, we don't know because literally um, it's a, mostly a team of one most of the time. The guys help out whenever they can, Matruk and, and Miguel. And Miguel's trying to help with some of the graphics. Uh, him and Sheda have been you know, spending some extra time helping with that. That's why you're seeing the quality of the, the, the channel go up recently. Um, but generally speaking, you know, there's very few times that we're going to have the opportunity to understand what's happening when it goes wrong. So really, you telling us, letting us know, by the way, the link doesn't work, um, we don't know how to get to this, or, you know, one of the things I had recently was the fact that the Angami, um, the Angami upload wasn't working. The iTunes was available for the last episode, uh, and the Spotify was available, but for some reason, the file from Angami was corrupted. I went to the dashboard on there, and they were saying it was corrupted, and I, I texted them. And as usual, like even when things are good, when the economy is booming and Rami responds to you after a month with a real answer, like they respond day to day with like bullshit answers from a robot or maybe a person pretending to be a robot, pretending to be a person. But uh, now in this situation, I don't know when they're going to answer and still showing up as an error with a corrupted audio file, even though I re-uploaded episode episode 16. Um... I wanted to get episode 15 up there as well for you guys that are listening to the audio platform, the the, the people that are on Spotify, iTunes, and Anrami. But um, I'm deciding to just let that be a YouTube one. So if it feels weird that there's a missing episode on that playlist, I apologize. If enough of you want to listen to it, I will put it up. But uh, the reason I wanted to pull it is because that one was our first stream. Uh, and... For about the first hour of that stream, the microphones were on from both cameras and from the the camcorder, and it was terrible audio, and that's why you had that echoey, tinny sound. And then about halfway through, I realized it, because everybody was telling me, like I said, your feedback matters. Um, When they told me, I shut it off and muted it, and then the audio got much better. And that's why, like, for half of it, it was really good audio, and then the first half was crap. So if you guys were at least watching the video, you can kind of get through it. 
but if you're listening to it, it's a, it's a nightmare. Oh, we've got somebody joining us right now. Darwish. Is it not updating on my thing? I can't tell how many people are actually watching. How many people are actually watching right now? I demand a rant about writing and artists in Bahrain. What you mean a rant about artists in Bahrain in general? What specifically writers? Um, what can I say? A lot of people want to self-publish. A lot of people want to make art in Bahrain, and sometimes I feel like uh, some of the art, whether it's whether it's from their own experiences or not, whether it's something that that is based off of them having an original idea or not isn't usually my my problem. I feel like that's the problem for most people out there when they comment on arts from the Middle East or art from this part of the world. Um, not if you're like a, like a major city that's importing a lot of your culture. Like, um, is that Jared Leto picture still up there? <laughs> I just noticed that. Yay. Let me, t- let me take that down if I can. Do it, do it, do it. Can I? Yeah, did it take it down? Why is it doing that? Yeah, there we go. Yeah, so a lot of people have that issue in, in with with you know whether it be writers, uh, visual artists, um, even performers of any kind um, that are we don't push boundaries, right? That is usually the number one comment you hear, especially for content that's in English. The content that's in Arabic pushes the boundaries all the time, all right? All the freaking time, and it's because it's personalized. Uh, it's forced to kind of make a comment on what's actually happening in society uh, as they see it. Therefore, there's a much more diverse audience consuming it. And, um, and and that means that a much more diverse audience rewarding you as well for taking risks and for like, um, you know, serving a specific niche, an ideological or a fictional niche. Um, but when it comes to the English content, a lot of times what we see is cookie cutter shit. And by that, I mean that... You know, you're not going to find, like, take for an example, Darwish, and you're, you're going to relate to me when I say this. When you find somebody talking about, um, you know, fantasy in the Middle East, and they, they will write a fantasy novel or story, you will either find somebody that is going off the deep end, emulating what they love, the Lord of the Rings, um, the Witcher, something to that extent, Game of Thrones, whatever it is, and they are... There are writers or there are artists that have yet to find their own voice, or they will try to do the Middle Eastern version of it, right? So that's the same thing I struggle with on this show. I don't know how to identify the local content that is relevant to both an international audience, but is not just basically a translation of any international ideas and themes that I see being broadcast out out there in the West. I don't want to do that. I want the same topics being formulated. So the same kind of discussions people are having at an international level, but with our own unique insight and our own perspective. And the problem is we can't have unique insight or perspective because we are not trying to build the conversation behind it. The conversations behind it are come of, are, are kind of like the root cause behind everything. So if you wanted to talk about dwarves, well, why don't we talk about dwarves that are, you know, not interested in money and wealth? Do you break do you break the paradigm for the sake of breaking the paradigm? You say, well, 
or or dwarves in my world they're gonna be closer to um you know a, a commentary on semitic people that's gonna be the theme it's not gonna the theme is not gonna be well dwarves are becoming extinct which for some reason is a, a common trope for most fantasy it's like oh dwarves are dying out for some reason they're either dying out or they're the shit they're never there's never an in-between right but uh I would like to see if you're going to do dwarves, if you're going to do anything like that, you, you have to be able to tell the struggle, the journey based off of your own ideology and your own belief system that is not simply you absorbing somebody else's thoughts. I know this bothers some people because there's this annoyance when you hear some people from this part of the world that will tell us, you know, you, don't be a Westerner. And that's the real Mary. That's the chicken nugget. And what they're talking about is that you don't emulate their thoughts and their opinions. But the problem is, is that we're not trying to emulate it. We're just trying to have a conversation a lot of times with the wider audience because we feel like there are conversations that are being had in the U.S. in the greater international community that we want to have it as a global audience. And the thing that connects everybody to the same culture, the same memes, the same you know, um, the same topics is English, unfortunately. If I wanted to talk to somebody in China about Doom Eternal or a, a specific you know, love of a, a, a fantasy novel or a, you know, a sci-fi book or whatever it is, a sci-fi show, I'm going to be using English because the majority of people that are conversing about it are going to be about what? Like back in the day, it would be like 3,000 people in a chat room, in a forum. And if I did that solely in, in Arabic, I'd be limited to maybe me four other people and one of my cousins because you know that was the early days of people connecting about their passions and their love of each other nowadays with kids in the new generation you don't have to worry about that you've got plenty of people to have the conversation with even within your own culture but if you want to open it up to everybody then sure go ahead open it up to everybody but then you have to also submit to that criticism is that okay those people are dumb they're telling you not to not to obsess over another culture, even though it's one culture, it's one planet, it's one earth, it's constantly shifting. But if they're saying, you know, um, if they're giving you that note, you can feel free to ignore it. It's probably stupid most of the time. But you still have to do your own thing. And by, by that I mean, like I said, dwarves. What would be a story that is unique to the Middle East but has never been told before. Well, how about the fact that we are such a, like a, such a diverse ethnic group? Pan-Arabia was a word that people used, pan-Arab. We forgot that, and it's like we don't care about that word because it's kind of got some toxicity to it. But um, we are that diverse ethnically. We have varying cultures, and we don't just have accents, we have dialects. So there's massive differences between one form of the language and one version of it and another egypt my wife can't understand egyptians no matter what for some reason um but yeah if you take that and you say i'm going to take that experience and i'm going to make it the crux of my story the origin behind what is the struggle between these different tribes of dwarfs they represent you know like the semitic people as a whole what is that struggle? There are a few struggles between the cousins of this part of the world, and that story is not really being told. It's being told as human interest stories, 
So you see that in the human interest field. If you see uh, books being written about survivors in Iraq or, you know, women growing up in Riyadh or, you know, people talking about their their struggles and journey uh, throughout the world of finance, you know, obsessing over a position or a job in Dubai and then realizing actually they were much happier with their family in Oman. These human interest stories tend to be very unique when they're sh shared at the Middle Eastern perspective without having to just force the, the Western or even the global flavor onto it. Because it's not just Western, let's be honest. There's a bunch of people in the Middle East that do have an obsession with the Far East as well. So there could be a little flavor, a taste of Japan, you know, influencing their writing and influencing their art. And it ends up being, you know, maybe a nice amalgamation, a nice little hybrid between Japanese culture and Middle Eastern culture. But the, I feel like there are a bunch of stories in the Middle East itself that have not been dug up. They have not kind of been used to its fullest. And I think the reason is, the difference, if you're going to ask me, Darwish, or anybody who's going to ask me about this, is because we have kind of, we don't really have a, a deeper connection to our history. We have a, a deeper connection to our Islamic history, but not our Arabian history. And for me, when I say that, and I use that word, I'm talking specifically about the fact that our Arabian history is much older, much richer, and much more diverse than just the span of time that we focus on for the sake of our religion. And because a religion is a big part of our culture, and a lot of people find uh, their, their identity and their faith tied together uh, very deeply. They're passionate about it. So I understand why the focus would be there. And we tend to have an ability to kind of like only play within certain boundaries but what if I lifted out those boundaries and I said, well, go ahead and explore pre-Islamic stories and identities and, and, and characters. You know, it's the Epic of Gilgamesh is, is the oldest story ever written, if I'm not mistaken. That is one of the, the first ones ever put to, to, not pen, but what, chisel? Is it a cuneiform roll tablet? I'm not sure, but there was something like that. But that is like an old story and there are many like it. That is the origin of most Western fantasy, is their root kind of search. It's their search to of pre pre Christianity, their search for all the pagan stories. Going through it, going Baba Yaga, uh, whatever the thunder god was named in Russia, I can't remember his name. Um, all the stories from Norse mythology, the the stories of Celtic mythology, all this stuff. Gagan, I can't remember the name of it from Wales. Gagan, something like that. <laughs> I keep forgetting how to say it, or pronounce it, or even remember the name. But they they have these kind of influencing everything. Then you have the Roman period influencing a lot of Western art and culture and stories. Then you have the medieval period. Then you have the Christian era and a lot of the influences from that. So we need to kind of like widen the horizons, I feel, a little bit and talk about it. See what else is out there from our heritage, from our past, not just identify it just with today, just with the same old stories, just with the same old uh, narrative, the same old labels. Not saying that that's bad. I'm not. I'm really not saying it's bad. I get tired from it. You know me, if you know me on a personal level, yes, I might rant about the fact that I'm sick and tired of it. I might rant about the fact that, you know, I'm annoyed by the fact that it's it's, it's kind of been done to death, and, and for some reason we don't like playing around with these other areas. But I feel like people have a thirst for it. 
especially in the Middle East. If you look at Bahrain, all right, especially when you, you talk to people that say, oh, it can't be done. People in Bahrain don't like that. They don't understand it. They don't watch it. They don't do this. Yeah, they, that's always the case until it isn't. So you, they would say that about everything. They said it about IRC when it first came out. Oh, nobody's going to be into chat rooms. This is so unique and nerdy. Being in an IRC chat room, uh, using certain commands and chat functions to kind of like ping a bot to get your movies downloaded or whatever it was. That was so niche. And now people do it on a day-to-day -day basis. Okay, sure, it's been streamlined and made friendly. People call it WhatsApp now, whatever it is. But even back in the ICQ days, it took forever for people to catch on to that. And now it's basically what we do all the time. And if you asked anybody in the Arab world, you know, where did that come from? Well, it came from certain people that decided, you know, we're going to try this out. We're going to figure it out for the rest of you. Uh, I'm going to map it out. I'm going to be a bit of an explorer. I'm going to take a risk. And you guys follow if you feel like you want to follow. But don't, you don't have to follow. You don't have to be a trailblazer. You don't have to do any of that. Just stop saying it can't be done. That word should be eliminated from Arab culture because it's been proven time and time again now that we have the internet and we can look back and see things that weren't a thing and now they are a thing, that it's a thing. It's a thing that's going to continue being a thing until it is something greater than and ever always will be there and then it will never be broken again because guess what? People are going to do it forever, ever and ever and it's never going to... It's, it's never going to be ever looked at as something that started from nothing. It'll look like a monolith. It'll look like something that we've always done and there's no reason to stray from this path. Everybody's always opened a cell phone shop that looks like this with this kind of branding, with this kind of font, with this kind of food, with this kind of karak. And there's never going to be a need for anything else or different, anything different. And that is simply not true. So I'm asking the majority of people out there, if you feel like your art, your writing, your creativity, whatever it is, you feel like it's not challenging enough, well, don't do it for the sake of being subversive. Don't do it for the, the shock value of it. Then you're doing it for the wrong reasons. You can still do something without having to make a statement. You don't have to be you know, trying to spread a sp specific agenda or an awareness. People tend to not be on your side if you're trying to shove something down their throat. So instead, I say, go for, go for broke, do what you need to do. Where's that from? That's a video game term I remember, go for broke. But um, go for broke, round one. Now, if you, if you go for it and you do what you need to do to kind of uh, focus in on one thing that makes you feel passionate and driven, then do it. But don't let the sake of, of shocking people or, or showing how much of a niche you are, don't let that be the driving factor. Don't, don't suck your own dick over the fact that, oh my God, I'm so edgy. I, like, I, I listen to a band nobody listens to. Like, I'm the first person that did this. That's the wrong reason to do anything. If you want your art to be unique, and creative, which is a challenge, by the way. This is coming from somebody that I, I want to stab myself sometimes when I'm on air on radio because I want to be able to do something that's creative, unique, original. I want to be, you know, standing out 
but I don't want to stand out for the sake of standing out. And sometimes you just have to bend over and do what it is that the people want. Yes, there is a percentage of that. When I was, when I was talking to Abuki last time, we, we, we kind of covered this topic. There's, a, there's an, a percentage of your art, your entertainment that is for the people. And you are trying to show them that, hey, I'm here for you. I'm going to keep you in your safe space with the story. I know you like these dwarves. Yeah, I like, you like the story, don't you? You like dwarves. You like dwarves that are honorable. They hold grudges. They, um, you know, they, they, they have a code they're going to follow. You, you like something familiar. But 20% of this story is going to be something that you've never experienced before. It's like that guy that's so good. Everybody has this guy in their group of friends. And it's that guy that knows how to recommend a TV show. There's one other guy that tries to force you to watch a movie or a TV show that is so bad at it. Bro, you have to watch Game of Thrones, dude. You do, you have to, bro. Bro, what the fuck? You're not watching Game of Thrones? No. But there's a guy that knows it. He's like, hey, man, remember that show? Do you remember, do you remember Event Horizon? You remember that movie? Yeah. It's a really good movie. You like that movie? Honestly, man, I think you're going to like this. I think there's parts of it that you're going to feel like a stretch because I know you. I know you don't like everything that's different. You don't like when people are just doing this for the sake of gore. But you like a little bit of an interesting kind of spin on your sci-fi, right? Your horror. Check out Night Flyers. Because it has a bit of that. It has a bit of the scary, the unique, the creepy. But at the same time, man, I think you're going to like the story. Or check out The Expanse. There are people that know how to sell that to you. By keeping you first comfortable, making sure you're in your little space, you're happy, you don't feel flustered by change because change can be a scary thing that people are not ready for. But then they're going to guide you outside of it and, and take you into this new place. Like, hey, look at this new journey. Look at this new story. Those are, you see how the dwarves kind of split up like cousins? Almost like, you know, those are the Jewish dwarves and these are the Islamic dwarves. You see that commentary I'm doing here? Sometimes you want to be smart about it. And that's what I feel like people are losing in the West, by the way, which pisses me off. And I feel like this is where the East and even the Middle East can actually take advantage of, which is the fact that in the West, a lot of these themes, a lot of the storytelling, they used to be subtle. It used to be very smart and sneaky and not necessarily sneaky, like in a bad way. I'm not using it in a negative context. I'm just saying that, you know, very... They're very smart about how they present you the, the pill. They take the red pill. They don't shove it down your throat. They used to put it as like part of the dessert. Like, hey, by the way, you know, you, you, like, you like chocolate eclairs. <laughs> Have this one. It's the same one you always liked. There's just a little bit of a different flavor too if you try it. And that's you just like you crumbled up the red pill and you sprinkled it on the eclair. And that's why now they can accept a new idea. And it's a small dose as well. So it's not going to be like a, a measurement that's supposed to basically take them on a trip all the way to the other ends of the earth. No, they're not supposed to lose their mind on a freaking acid trip. No, they're supposed to kind of like slowly come out of it and be like, hey, I like that buzz. What was that? What did you put in that eclair? Well, the West these days, a lot of places in the States, a lot of these producers, a lot of these writers, they have kind of free reign to do whatever they want to because of, you know, the new liberal movement, uh, some of the more extreme progressive movements that are in the States. And that means they've kind of lost the art of subtlety and it becomes activism. 
And when it's activism, it's freaking harsh. And it's hitting people on the head with a hammer. Maybe you have the moral truth. I don't know. I'm not making a comment about that. I'm just saying the way you've decided to go about this, because you think you're completely in the right, there is no humility in that. There's no doubt. There's just you freaking hammering people over the head repeatedly and insisting that if they don't change, they're bad people. And, and that wasn't how things were done. You look at the difference between, you know, the old Star Trek and how it would intellectually kind of like get you to see certain things like racism. But they'd let you see it through the lines of, oh, hey, these aliens, look at these aliens. They're fighting over their colors. They're stupid. What kind of alien does that? One is black and white. The other one's white and black. That was smart. And it was subtle. Maybe not that subtle. But still. You know what I mean. You can still enjoy the show. You don't have to look for the deeper meaning. I think a good show, a good story, can do well at a shallow level and with a deeper meaning. And I feel like there's a lot to be done in the Middle East and with storytelling. If people are trying to find those angles that, and those ideas that we are uniquely positioned to tell. We have stories and backgrounds and histories and heritages that are uniquely our own. That have never been, never been presented in a way that can kind of do good to the greater world as well. And instead... A lot of people I see today are more interested in saying, I've done something. It's not about whether what they're doing has any real value to bring to people. It's more of like, hey, I've done something. And it is the creative intellectual equivalent of getting a desk and an office and a title that says general manager. And it's bullshit. Because if... if down the line, you don't feel sick of doing something like that. You don't feel like it's going to be, you know, disheartening for other writers that look at you and look at your position and look how you've dominated everything. You've creatively kind of squashed everything that even tries to be different. Because that's what happens, by the way. That is exactly the cycle. If you settle for, I just want the position and the ego of saying, I've written a book, I've made a movie, I've done this. That lingers inside you for fucking ever. And what you end up doing is you feel threatened by anything that's different. Because you need to justify your reality all the time that you didn't compromise. You need to. So anything that's different, you're going to just squish on down. And that's how you get that cycle of somebody that was at the bottom gets into this, like I said, this metaphorical manager's position of being somebody in a creative field that never allows anybody from the bottom to kind of go up a step. Because they need to believe that they understand it better than you do. And that's what starts the cycle all over again. So I tell people, just stop ahead of time. Stop doing your art for the sake of ego. I can understand, by the way, people that do it for the sake of a paycheck. I will never judge anybody. Anybody. And nobody should, by the way. Judge somebody... For wanting to make their art also meaningful to their finances. 
if you need your money to make sense, if you need this to creatively get you fed and get you a place to sleep and make it seem worthwhile to your to your spouse or your significant other or the family that you're taking care of, then by all means, never let anybody tell you otherwise. But if you're doing it for ego, if you're doing it for other people, then fuck it. It's better. Honestly, it is a hundred times better to do something, be made fun of, be belittled, be dismissed, patronize, whatever you want to call it, be dismissed entirely and told that you're nothing, then have a position that says manager on it that's fake. I know a bunch of entrepreneurs that feel this way about fake entrepreneurs. I know a bunch of people that feel this way about artists and, and public figures that go out there and they're so good at the PR game. They're so good at saying, hey, look, I've done this thing. I've packaged it and it looks exactly like what that guy does in the States. It looks exactly like what this guy does. Hey, I even have a white person on my cover that says this Western doctors. You know what I'm talking about if you live in Bahrain, if you've seen the ads. Western doctors. As if that is going to give you legitimacy. It's not. And you know it's not. All right. I think that that is the rant you wanted. Hopefully that's uh, what you're looking for. I think that we should sing. I think my career as an author took off when I stopped listening to people over here. The whole don't ignore your culture, buddies. Yeah, exactly. That's why I'm saying that there's there's something in the middle, though. You can go and look for, you know, the thing that you find the most inspiring from another culture. I just, I was hoping that somebody would do it in a way that also reflects the deeper, like, where is where, where are the Neil Gaimans? The people that have studied the history beyond our history. You know, where are the H.P. Lovecrafts? of our culture. And I feel like I'm, I'm so proud to say that there are people like yourself, MG, uh, that go out there and actually try to do this. So hopefully you can come on the podcast and actually talk about it. Do do do. All right. I promised just an hour and a half because I really do have to eat. I don't want to do an hour, two hours of this, but I like how th this one topic in itself for the last 20 minutes was inspirational. It got me a little bit running. Hopefully it's not too preachy. Anywho, like I said, guys, uh, make sure if you like it, please share, like, and follow. I've been getting better at kind of doing posts about things and, and fixing stuff and uh, making sure that things are working. It's a learning process. And like I said, it's a one-man team for most of it. Um, I do have amazing people that are trying to help out and spend some time, but these are you know either college kids or trying to make a life work for themselves so they can't really commit more than they already have which is amazing so um we're gonna continue to improve things and and bring some interesting people back onto the show we're gonna continue having the banter buddies series which is gonna be like another free form round table you know we basically talk about anything and we can ha have a guest for that as well but i do want to bring back some of the older kind of like bedouins up close the original Be bedouin banter style which was me just interviewing a specific person and really zooming in, narrowing in, and focusing on what they have to say. Um, that is going to be kind of like an, another thing we're going to be focusing a lot more on. And there's another segment that I, I've I kind of pitched 
to a person today that we're going to be seeing if we can pull off. This is a good one. It was fun. And it gives me something to, to work on. So thank you guys. Also, like I said, share, like, and subscribe. It really makes a huge difference. If you feel like you have friends that would consume this kind of content or would enjoy it, then please, please, uh, you know, put it out there and spread the word. Whenever there's something that's, uh, you know, off or, or malfunctioning or there's feedback to be given, let me know. Let others know what's going on. Keep them appraised that, uh, you know, don't give up. This is how things are built. You know, Rome wasn't built in a day. But it sure as hell collapsed in one. No. All right, that's it. I, I ended it on a cheesy note. So thank you guys for tuning in. Or tuning in. I keep saying that. Freaking radio. Thank you for, uh, you know, just, um, I guess, clicking into the show. I'll be seeing you guys next Monday. And uh, there might be another session this week if I can get a Skype going. So stay tuned on the Instagram. Mine is kdossy. Also follow the Bedouin Banter 1 on Instagram and the Twitters and everything else. All right, guys, you have a good night, all right? Enjoy and stay safe.